to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. We are your hosts, Sayla and Eileen. And today's guest, we have Brock Mogensen. Brock has been investing in real estate for over two years. He lives and invests in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and he holds a master's in information systems and comes from an analytical background. Brock specializes in underwriting and incorporating data models for asset management. As a principal at Smart Asset Capital, the firm currently has over $8 million in assets under management. The portfolios comprise a multifamily, office, retail, and industrial. He is also a co-host of the largest monthly multifamily meetup in Wisconsin, which is the Wisconsin Apartment Investors meetup. Thankful to have you on the show today, Brock. How are you doing? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing well. Great. So can we get started by starting off sharing a little bit more about your background and how you got started in real estate? Yeah. So I've, I've been, I've been in real estate too long. I mean, it's been about three years. So about three years ago, I started with, started with a duplex and I did the, the house hacking model. So I lived in one side, rented out the other, which I think is a great way to get started. So I did that and it really just, it showed me the power of cash flow of real estate, appreciation, everything. So kind of decided from there, all right, there's something I want to do, spent some time, decided which path I wanted to go down. I spent some time trying to flip houses and just studying the different avenues. There's so many different ways you can go in real estate. And I, I really was just, you know, taking the time to try to figure out which way I wanted to go. Ended up landing on the concept of syndication, essentially just partnering with other investors to go after larger deals. Spent spent maybe six months learning, learning that specifically, analyzing deals was the focus I, I, I spent my time on. Um, and from there, went out, partnered with the right people and, and started doing some, some bigger deals. Great. Thank you. And so you've mentioned that you partnered with other people. People. How did you start off by meeting those people and how did you know that they were the right fit for you? Yeah, so it really just came down to networking. I connected with, I just, I would go to networking events. I was being active on Bigger Pockets, which is like a real estate forum website. I ended up connecting with, with someone, you know, we went out to coffee a few times. Our interests kind of aligned and we just decided to start an LLC together and started going at, start looking for deals. Eventually that turned into finding a deal. I had to bring in another partner because the deal was too big for us. And from there, us three found we worked well together and just continued to scale after that and, and do more deals. So really partnerships are, are key, I think, in real estate. I mean, unless, unless you have a model of you want to go out on your own and maybe just accumulate your own portfolio. But I think if you want to go the, the path of scaling and growing a business out of it, really partnerships are key, leveraging partnerships and finding partners that might be good at, at, at something you're not so good at has really been, has been great for me. So at what point did you realize that you own a duplex and then you wanted to go into syndications? At what point do you realize that that is the right move for you? Yeah, for me, I, I just, I think it just kind of clicked that I wanted to, this is something I really wanted to go all, all in on and I wanted to build a business out of. And I, I, although I did see the path, I know there is a path of, of buying, you know, a couple of duplexes a year and, and going down that path. For me, I saw the syndication model as a way to be able to create a, a business around it, be able to create more systems. I'm always thinking about different systems and ways I, I can systematize things. So I saw more opportunity for that along uh, around the larger deals, as well as a new property management wasn't something I loved. Uh, I didn't really want to be involved with ma- with managing, you know, lots of units on my own. So I knew that going after larger deals, it's, it's easier to outsource property management. So I'd say a combination of those kind of drew me towards the 
the, the, the model of going after larger deals through syndication. So can you talk a little bit more about the first deal that you and your partner did? How did you guys find the deal? How many units and how you, how did you guys finance it? Yeah. So that, that one was 89 unit apartment building, C-class in the Milwaukee area, found it through a, a broker. So it actually ended up falling through. Um, it was under contract, stayed in touch with the broker, came back to us, negotiated a good, a good, a good uh, price on it just because the sellers were wanting to get out of it. So really staying in touch with brokers is, is key, just a little sidetrack there. But so we, we, we went, we went through with that. So it was our, our first raise we were doing as a syndication. We did a Fannie, Fannie Mae debt on that. So we got, we got great, great terms on it. I went out and, and raised the capital for it. It being our first one, it went it went pretty smooth on the, on the capital raise front, and yes, yeah, so that that was about a little over a year and a half ago. That was our first our first syndication deal. So it went from the duplex to to that one. So one of the things of syndication is raising capitals, and you mentioned that your first deal went smooth at that time. So can you repeat that last part? Cut out for a second there. Do you have a tip or tricks of what was the key that made the raising capital smoother for you guys? Yes, yeah, so I think just having. Like like I said before, I think having the right partnerships was key. On that first one, I didn't necessarily have all the connections to go out and raise capital. I only raised a small piece of it. My strong suit kind of going into in the partnership was the the analysis of deals and me putting my you know me, me willing to put my time out there on the asset management stuff and the investor reporting. So it, it's turned more into I help more on the capital raising front, but kind of going into a partnership where I knew that that wasn't going to be all on me to to do. I think is key. Now I mean obviously after that we've implemented more things that help with with capital raising raising and digital marketing, stuff like that, bringing, bringing leads in through the internet has helped a lot. But going into that first one, I think it was just partnering with the right person. And so you mentioned analyzing deals as your strong suit. What are some of the things that you look for when you analyze a deal? So the, I'd say the biggest thing is some sort of value add component. When I'm looking, I always like to, that's always the first thing I like to see is, is there is there some way to increase the value? And there's literally hundreds of ways to increase value at a property. The basic ones, obviously, increase rents, decrease expenses, add fees, stuff like that are, are are the basic ones, but kind of just taking a creative approach to it and, and finding a way at least that we can add some sort of value. And if it checks that box, then, you know, go, go through a series of underwriting steps, remaining conservative. There's different different tricks and tips I'll use to kind of remain conservative and underwriting, especially right now with so much uncertainty in the market marketplace right now. But I'd say going into that, that's the first check, you know, the box I check is Obviously, you know, maybe the right size, location, type of deal. I mean, is there some sort of value add component? So if it doesn't meet those right away, it's kind of like, well, you know, we'll give the broker the feedback that this deal doesn't fit our box. But if it falls within that box, then it's like, all right, now let's take it to the next step and actually analyze it and see uh, what the numbers look like. So you mentioned that, uh, especially right now, is kind of uncertainty. There's a lot of uncertainties going on. And have you adjust any of your underwriting guidelines? compared to when you first just did it on your first deal. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think right now, some of the, some of the main ones are rent growth. So right now in my models, I'm doing no rent growth for the first two years. So I know previously, right. Most people, 3% was pretty common. The, the, the rate of inflation, you usually target at 3%. So right now 0% in the first two years. That That's one thing I'm doing being extra conservative on the exit cap rate. So I'm going on most deals all the way up to like 100 basis points higher than what we're buying it at. Previously, I'd, I'd be more like the 50 basis points range. Now I'm trying to get all the way up to 100 basis points just because who knows what cap rates are going to be at, you know, in the next couple of years, even further out than that. Things like that, increasing economic vacancy, collections, obviously collections are, although it hasn't been too bad, obviously more towards the C space, it's, it's, it's been seeing a greater hit. But overall, it hasn't been too bad, but still I, I, think, I think collections are going to remain to be hit for a while. So bumping that up a few a few percentage points, expecting less money to come in. Those, those are some of the main ones that I'm doing. And also kind of taking a more looking at looking at certain expense items more closely to make sure that everything's being accurate. I think a lot of 
a lot of numbers you see right now, I'll, I'll receive the numbers and see that there's 0% hit on collections. And I find that pretty hard to believe. I think, feel like, so that's always one of my, it's been like almost a copy and paste question on, on most of the deals I'm receiving right now is there's been no hit, not, not even one renter on this 100 unit apartment building didn't, didn't pay their rent last month. Seems kind of odd to me. So I think that's something people are, you know, maybe not being too truthful right now. Right now they're selling, maybe not on all deals, but most of them I've seen. So those are a few of the things that I'm looking out at right right now. How about, can you talk a little bit about the reserves that you're putting in and any lender assumptions that you're using? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So, I mean, I'm, I'm staying in touch with our, our mortgage broker every, every week or two, sending an email just to kind of see, you know, what's going on in the agency debt space. From, from what I've seen, it hasn't, it seems like it's maybe starting to loosen up a little bit right now, but hasn't really changed from their, their six to 12 months of reserves. Seems, seems kind of like what it's at right now. Cause you know, agency debt's requiring a whole bunch of reserves at closing. So we actually haven't, the past, the past couple of deals we've done over, over the past six months or so since, since, since COVID hit essentially and, and all these, all the debt markets kind of froze or, or, or tightened up at least. We haven't, we haven't done any agency debt. It's all been community banks and the relationships we have here with local banks are, haven't required any, anything like that. We're still, we're still coming in with heavy reserves of our own, but as far as bank requirements, deals we've done here in the past few months, we haven't had to do that. But like you said, yeah, I mean, they're, they're requiring lots of reserves. So on, on these deals, I am underwriting that, you know, we would go after an agency debt loan. Yeah, modeling up to around 12 months in reserves plus extra reserves for us to actually have in our own bank account. So that obviously makes the numbers tough to work with. So I'm really hoping that that loosens up over the next couple of months. Like I said, I'm always staying in touch. He's probably getting pretty annoyed with me sending an email every couple of weeks because <laughs> every time he's like, yeah, same thing as last week. But he, from what I'm seeing, at least in the articles I'm reading, it looks like it's starting to loosen up a little bit, but we'll see. Well, that's very uh, conservative. So how how is that uh, play into the probabilities of your companies finding the deals flow right now? Yeah. So uh, for, for for right now, it, it it hasn't had too much of an impact on for us so far recently, just because the, the deals we have done, we've been able to use community banks on. They haven't been quite large enough where we have to go with agency debt. And I think part of that is, is, is like I was saying, I mean, I think it's just tough to make numbers work right now, factoring in a year's worth of, of uh, operating reserves at, at closing. It's really hard to hit investors' returns with that. But that being said, I mean, we're... I, I, I think we will find find a way to make those larger deals work with, with agency debt, just a matter of finding the right one. And then I want to go back to a little bit of the asset management part of things. Will you be able to talk a little bit of how your company structures the asset management and uh, making sure that the residents feel like at home? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that, that's huge. That's something we've, we've been putting, trying to have more focus on as far as the whole, the resident experience and, and everything there. So we've realized that having a good on-site property manager, so we have a property management company. Our, my partner owns his own property management company. So that was another good piece of, of the partnership. And on, on that building, we went through one or two prop, on-site property managers that really weren't the right fit. Several months ago, we found a great one now and, and he's, he's been great. So I think that's, that's the first piece on, on these larger apartment buildings is if they're big enough to have an on-site property manager to make sure that person understands the goal on the same page as you. And once you have a person like that, then you can start dialing more of the stuff. So we're focusing more on making sure every tenant is satisfied after move-in, that they always can reach us. We've set up phone numbers where, where they can reach us easily, on-site security, where they have their own phone number. If, if some, they see something that, that they didn't like, um, they're able to reach out to them. Stuff like that. We definitely still have have some work to do on the whole resident experience um, thing. I think I think it, there's more room for it when you get... So like I said, that, that's a C-class building. And although we do try to do some stuff there, obviously the margin isn't as big as if, if you go for more, more of an A-class, you can probably afford to do a little bit more of that that type of stuff um, or it might have a longer lasting effect. But we are we are implementing some of those things on, on, on that building and hope to kind of learn more about that whole process on the asset management side of, of, of the resident experience. 
So in terms of the data for the asset management, Gail, will you be able to share some of the key performance indicators that you guys are tracking? Yeah. So there's, so I've, I've, I know I'm always adding more and I've actually kind of created a spreadsheet that, that I, that I put on my website, but there's, so some of the, some of the main ones, right? So I think, I think obviously the obvious ones right away, income, expenses, vacancy, all, all those things are, are things you got to be tracking every week. Some of the ones that you might, might not be as common are things like tracking leads, which has been huge for us. So we track all of our leads by channel, how many leads are, are being generated, how many of those leads turned into, to showings from showings, how many of those turned into to applications and leases. So kind of tracking on each channel what 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 happens and then more specifically looking at it on like based on the channel, right? So we've seen we found that Facebook Marketplace has been huge for us, brings in the most leads by far, has turned in the most leases by far. So in return we went and doubled down on Facebook Marketplace advertising on there. That that's been a big one. Other other ones are tracking like unit turn times. How long does it take when a tenant moves out for that unit to be turned and flipped and ready to be shown? From there, how long does it take to be rented? How many days are there? In 2019, what was that number? In 2020, what's that number compared to 2009, 2020? Is it getting better or worse? Stuff like that. Tracking unit turn costs. So every unit we track, we flip it. This one costs 1500 This one costs 1200 Kind of tracking those numbers. And at the end of the year, we can say, okay, we flipped 20 units. Our average turn cost was $1,100, you know, something like that. And kind of comparing it year over year, just tracking everything we I, I can think of. There's a whole bunch more, but just tracking everything I can think of. So at the end of the year, we can look back on it. We can compare it year over year and just and modify things and go back to our property manager and say, hey, this number is over here this year, that year, just different things like that. I think tracking data is is, is key. Yeah, I love data. And we, we love data. And so I just want to talk a little bit about the tracking or those data and information, are they uh, being provided to you by the property managers or you have someone else actually tracking as a third party? Yeah. So we use, so, so to the property management software. So our, our property manager uses Appfolio. So we have a direct login to there. I can pull reports anytime I want, which is awesome. And then, so I started creating all these reports doing, we, we, we run, we have, we have a report that pretty much goes out every day to our whole team. The big one goes out on Monday, but so I, I started that process and then we, several months ago, we hired a virtual assistant and he started taking over more tasks and has been doing great. And eventually I felt confident enough to hand it over the report to him. So now he actually runs that report. So it's completely systematized where he knows how to run it. He has his own login tab folio. He pulls the data every week, sends reports out every day. So it's, it's been great to kind of sell all, all now I have to do is just pull up that email and, and look through the report instead of running it each week. But yeah, ha- having the access to data is key. I've, I've heard some, I've talked to some people that have had property managers that just say, yeah, you know, I, I I don't even have the data. At the end of the month, I'll just get you know an email or a call say, hey, twelve hundred dollars came in, or and that's it. It's like, well, that that one that one satisfied me. Like I I'm in there almost every day, just looking at different things, and I like to have I like to always have a pulse on what's how much money's coming in, what's being spent. So I, I think that's key. People that are going out there looking to work with you know find a property manager, making sure they have the right technology and you have access to that technology is is a big piece. That's great advice. Thank you for all that information. So I just want to go back a little bit to where after you started and got your first appointment syndication, what happened after then? Yeah. So, so we, we, we did that first one and just definitely continued to learn and learned a lot after that first one on how the whole process went. It was all, uh, my partners had done more deals than I have in the past, but none of us had done a, a syndication. So it was obviously a little bit different. It wasn't as really the, the attorney, the mortgage broker, all those, all those people really guide you through the process. So it's nothing, nothing, nothing too out there, but we did learn different ways to implement 
systems, right? Like one thing, the, the documents, having investors sign documents and all that, you know, sending 50 different emails here and there and trying to keep everything secure and figuring out when, when the funds were wired and all that was a lot. So since then, we implemented a uh, investor portal software that handles all that stuff and ad- automates it all. You just send a link. So stuff like that has really kind of, you know, taught us the, the timelines of the process. Now we know like on day one, as soon as you get a deal under contract, you engage your attorney to start the legal paperwork and you set up bank accounts on day one. So every dollar that comes in and out goes through that bank account. There's there were small things like that where I don't think I necessarily knew before I did it, did the first one. Some of those things need to be done. If you can get them done sooner than later, it helps the whole process out. But overall, I, I think we kind of we had we had most of the processes down heading in. But always after every single one, there's always a small learning lesson. I think. Yeah, awesome. I I totally agree. I mean, uh, having a supporting system is really important and vital in a real estate business or any in business in general. So, at what point you also mentioned about the office, uh, retails, and industrials in your portfolios for your company as well? And at what point you start investing in those assets? Yeah. So the the office and retail was actually after that one. So and. It's, it's funny. I'll, I'll get to that part. But so it was right. At, it was right after that, and there are deals that kind of just. I mean, multifamily was always our focus. My partner owns part of that. He owns, he owns a brokerage as well. So he had some. He has a lot of connections direct to seller. And these two deals kind of popped up within a month or two of each other, and the numbers were awesome. Everything worked worked well. Got it, getting them for a great price, opportune time that we're, we're coming in from for the, to buy it from the seller. So everything just made sense, even though it wasn't our, our target asset class. We had investors that preferred those asset classes. So, so, so we bought them. I mean, we, we didn't want to pass on a great opportunity. And we, we learned about, we learned, we've now, we've now learned about those asset classes, triple net leases, how everything works and the nuances in, in those asset classes. And they've actually performed, performed pretty well, even through, even through these times. The funny part was, I mean, the, the, the strip mall we bought like two weeks before COVID hit in the US. So, so, I mean, we got a little unlucky there, but I mean, we only had one tenant that's really, that only one tenant's really struggled throughout that whole thing. So at that property, so it, it's performed well, luckily, I think we got kind of lucky there, but going forward, and then we, we recently closed an industrial deal and that's kind of multifamily industrial, our two main focus now. We're kind of putting office and retail on, on the bench right now and, and doing any deals for those just because of, just because of the uncertainty in those spaces we see at least. We're continuing to monitor it. We haven't really X'd out those asset classes, but we just want to kind of see those bounce back a little bit more before we go go back into those. So we, we like industrial a lot, triple net industrial. I mean, we, we really like, so that, that's a deal we recently did, but multifamily industrial kind of going forward are our main, our main focus. You also host one of the largest monthly multifamily meetup in Wisconsin. How did that come about? And can you talk a little bit about the meetup? Yeah. So that... So that it was, it was uh, really just came out of like a, a need almost. So I, when I first, when I first started, I was going to, you know, I'd, I'd look up every single meetup within an hour of me and I'd, I'd go to several, you know, multiple ones a week, driving all over the place, going to, and it, it was great for trying to figure out what I wanted to get into. But what I kind of eventually realized was all these, and I was going to all, all the, you know, the big ones, small ones all over the place within, within my, you know, hour radius if you're around Milwaukee. And I kind of found that all of them just focused on, Flipping and wholesaling. The only two, no one, they never really talked about buying whole, they're buying multifamily. And that's, you know, as time progressed, that's what I wanted to get into. So as, as I kind of, my, my partner and I started, you know, our, our partnership, we're looking for deals at the same time. We're like, well, we haven't really found any meetups. And he, he would say the same thing. I mean, I'm going to meetups around here and no one's talking about buying apartment buildings. So he said, well, let's just, let's just start our own, you know, apartment, uh, Wisconsin apartment investors, real, real, <laughs> real, you know, generic name, but 
we were like, let's just start our own. You know, we kind of just thought we'd, you know, have five people show up and we'd just sit around and have, have a few drinks and talk about buying apartment buildings. And shortly, even after a few of them, we, people were coming and saying the same thing we had noticed. Like, yeah, it's, we never really found one that talked about multifamily. That's kind of what I want to get into. And it, it just kept growing and growing. And now we've been doing it for about a year and a half. We do it once a month. It's turned into uh, some people have kind of branched out using our name and other parts of the state using doing it as well. And it's been great. I mean, we get we get about 40 to 50 people each each month. A lot of, a lot of times newer people that go all across the board as far as experience levels. But it's, it's been awesome for, for meeting connections in the area, all, all the way from finding deals, investors, connections with, with, with everything. So, so it's been great. You know, there's a few different techniques we use to build it, but uh, overall, it was just staying consistent with it and drawing people in. And so how are you guys handling the meetups now during COVID? Yeah, so we we had we, we took a break there for like a month or two. We did a few Zoom ones. We went back to doing our, our in-person ones a few months ago. And then now with, with lockdown restrictions kind of going right now, we're taking this month off and then going back in January. So it's been the past few months, we were a little, a little all, over, you know, all over the place the past, the past couple of months. We did a few of the Zoom ones and those were good, but we, we definitely pushed getting back into person for, for ours, but, and the turnout actually ended up being pretty good. But yeah, we'll see. I think we do need to kind of try to pivot a little bit more to the to the online space uh, with our meetup though. Thank you for sharing that. How has real estate investing impacted your life so far? I'd say just the the idea of income coming in and not necessarily having to punch a clock for it is was the biggest eye opener for me you know just just thinking i think i think there was one point when i was i was on and this is to say i'm very very active in our investments right but just the idea of having somewhat passive income at least for me you know being on vacation and seeing rent rental income coming in is just i think that kind of proves it right there I don't think I'd ever, ever be a type of person that just wanted to sit on a beach and, and not do anything and, and be completely passive. I like being, being more of an active investor. But the idea of just being able to, you know, cash flow, paying down, paying down, uh, paying down debt, properties appreciate over time. Just the whole idea of it just really intrigued me and what got me into it. So what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? It's a good question. I would say that you don't necessarily have to start really small. And I'm not, not to say that I, I really did, but I think, I think a lot of people think the only path to do it is just to buy, start with buying single family, single family, and slowly then, you know, two, four, six. I think a lot of people think you have to go down that path. I think something I wish I would have known was I could have learned, you know, started learning it when I was younger and, and gone bigger, even quicker. What is one thing that set the successful people apart in the real estate investing business? I think it comes down to vision and discipline. Two two words I, I go back to a lot. I think I think first having the vision of what you want to accomplish in real estate. Some some people might you know they they, they they like to stay at their job and they they want they want to buy some duplexes on the side and that can be a great way to build wealth. Some people have the vision of wanting to build you know a, a real estate empire. I think it, you, you kind of define your vision. And then stay disciplined in that vision, and that's kind of what what I've done. I, you know, decided this is something I want to do. Stay disciplined on that path, and and continue to. Awesome! Thank you so much for sharing, Brock. And if our listeners want to find out more about you and your background and get in touch with you, where can they go? Yes. So uh, at our website at www.smartassetcapital. 
wealthcreatorswealth.com. I have a few of those, like that asset management reports on there. I have some underwriting eBooks on there, an eBook on building a meetup, a few different educational stuff on there. So they can go on there. Also posting a lot of stuff on Instagram, real estate related. So that's just at Brock Mogensen and last name. Those are two ways to get in DM me on there. Always happy to, to talk to people about real estate. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Brock. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifacecapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.